Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Last week, we started in chapter 9, and we saw the conversion of Paul. And we saw him give his life to Christ, this transformation that took place on his way to kill Christians. And then in a matter of moments, he is a believer, and now he's one of the ones wanting to be killed. Now, the last half of the book of Acts focuses exclusively on the life and the ministry of Paul. But before we get to that, in Acts chapter 13, the author of Acts, Luke, really kind of shifts suddenly back to the ministry of Peter. And when we look at Acts chapter 9, in fact, the passage that Pastor Jason just read, even moving up a few verses to verse 32, we see this focus again on Peter. And what I want to do is look at these events that take place in the remainder of Acts chapter 9, and through them, I believe what we are going to see is how our ministry can be more effective. And when I say our ministry, I'm not talking about our ministry as a whole or our ministry as a church as much as I am about your individual ministry within our church. So I believe very firmly that if our ministry is going to be effective, that it's going to require you to have an effective personal ministry. I think you've probably heard the statistic that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Y'all ever heard that? Well, one of the reasons why we have thousands of churches closing every year is because of that statistic. The reality is, in most churches, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and that leads to unhealthy churches. It leads to struggling churches. It leads to declining churches, and even all the way down to closing churches. See, there's a lot of things that can appear to be involvement in ministry that really isn't involvement in ministry. A lot of things that we can be active doing, but it's not truly ministry. What I want us to do this morning, though, is I want you to look at your life individually. I want to look at your life personally. And you're either in one of two camps this morning. Either you're involved in ministry or you're not. And if you're here and you are involved in ministry, then one of the goals I have for you is for you to be able to grow in your ministry effectiveness. I I want you to leave with the ability to do more in ministry and be in a position for God to use you and your ministry in a greater way to impact more people. But you also may be here this morning and you do not have an area of ministry. You attend, but you're not involved. You come but you don't minister. And my goal for you is that you would prayerfully consider how God would have you serve and minister in the ministry here at Highland Park. If you have your bulletin on the back as an outline, and as we do each and every week, we're just going to walk through this. And our goal is simply to understand what is happening in the text. And obviously, Pastor Jason read it. We saw the miracle that took place, and we see the life change that happens. But rather than focusing on those events specifically, I want us to look at the life of Peter and notice several things that made his ministry effective. Because again, if our church is going to have an effective ministry, a faithful ministry, it requires minister, members of the church have a faithful and effective ministry. So how do we do that? Here's number one. I want you to notice that Peter was continually involved. Peter was continually involved. Look at verse 32. 
As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And he immediately got up. And so all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What is interesting about this verse is how it begins. As Peter was traveling from place to place, Luke doesn't suddenly trans focus the attention back to Peter because he restarts his ministry. But as he kind of pans back to the life and ministry of Peter, we see that Peter has been involved continually. He is going from place to place, city to city, village to village, eager to serve, eager to minister, eager to, to do what God has called him to do. And in this, we learn that if we want to have an effective per personal ministry. We have to be continually involved. His willingness to move from place to place shows that he was eager for God to use him. He was eager for God to direct him. You know, it is easier for God to direct your steps and to guide your life if you are active serving him. You ever tried to turn the steering wheel on a car when it's setting still? It's a lot harder than it is when it's already moving. When you are involved in ministry and when you are active in service and when you are doing what God has called you to do, it is much easier for God to guide you and God to direct you. But in order for God to have that, that in order for God to be able to easily direct you, you have to be continually involved. So we see Peter following God's direction. He understood that just because there was a need in a town or a need in a city, that that didn't necessarily mean that that's where God had called him. One of the misconceptions about serving in ministry is that if there is a need, then I am automatically called. I think we could go around our ministry this morning and every single person who leads a ministry would say, there's a need. We have a need in children's ministry. We're looking for more volunteers in youth ministry. We could go all the way down the line and every single ministry we have, there is a need. One of the things we have to understand is just because there is a need, that is no guarantee that that is where God is leading you or guiding you or has gifted you to serve. I remember talking with a missionary one time and it was actually before he became a missionary. He believed God was calling him to go overseas and he knew God wanted him to go to a Spanish-speaking country. And so he said, I need to find out where it is that God wants me to serve. And so he took about eight, nine months and traveled to about 10 different countries. He went to Ecuador for a couple of weeks. He went to Costa Rica for a couple of weeks, Dominican Republic, Guatemala. You get the idea. And he said, I, I want to see where the need is. I want to see where there's a need. So when I find the need, then I'll know where God wants me to go. And he came back and he sat down and he was talking with his missions director. And his missions director kind of knew how this conversation was going to go. And he looked at him and said, so where's the need? And the missionary looked back at him and said, everywhere. There was a need in Ecuador. And there was a need in Guatemala and Costa Rica, Dominican Republic. Everywhere was a need. And the missionary, missions director looked back at the missionary and he looked, told him, just because there is a need does not mean that that is where God is calling you to go. See, what happens is when we fail to discern God's call on our lives, we jump at every little thing and we hinder ministries when we serve in ministries where we're not called or gifted to serve. See, we and we're going to see this more in a minute. We have to follow the leading of God in our lives to serve. And so the events that follow in verse 32 and go down through the remainder of the chapter really, though, show the continual involvement of Peter in ministry. God works through people who are involved in ministry. 
And you may sit and you may think, you know what, I want God to use me. I want God to use my life. God will not and cannot use your life to point other people to him if you are unwilling to serve and unwilling to minister. I mean, what happens is if I were to ask, who wants God to use your life? Every hand would go up. But some of you are sitting back with your arms folded saying, I want God to use me. Okay, God, go ahead. We have to be serving. We have to be ministering. Can I go on a rabbit trail for a minute? Sure, say that kind of hesitantly. One of the tragedies of our day, and listen to everything I say, I don't want you to misunderstand me. One of the tragedies of our day is that the retirement mentality that is given in careers has crept into the church. And what I mean by that is it's common and normal to retire from a career But many times when people, not always, there's plenty of exceptions, but sometimes when people retire from a career, they also retire from serving in the church. When they retire from a job, they sometimes quit their ministry in the church. And what happens is those who have the most wisdom and the most experience, and after their retirement from the career, the most time end up many times, and there's exceptions, but many times doing the least amount in church ministry. See, while you may retire from a career, you should never retire from serving God. While while you may retire from a job, you never should retire from church ministry. Don't turn retirement into an idol that keeps you from serving God. And many times, if we're being honest, that is what happens. Retirement becomes the idol that stands in the way of us doing what God has called us to do. We work for retirement. We long for retirement. We finally get to the moment of retirement, and somehow we think God no longer desires that we serve him in the church. That is a lie that cripples many churches. Instead of retiring from a career, leverage your retire- and then retiring from ministry, leverage your retirement so that you can do more in ministry. Don't just retire from a career and think, well, I'm done with my career, then I'm done with serving in the church. No. If anything, that is your time to do more to further the kingdom of God. That is your time to leverage your retirement, leverage your time, leverage your wisdom, leverage your experience so that God can use you in even a greater way to further the ministry of the church. Never retire from serving God. Never retire from doing what God has called you to do in the church. God's plan to reach the nations is the local church. And if your life is going to help accomplish that plan and accomplish that goal, then we need to have a mindset that says, no matter what happens, I will serve. And even when I retire from my career, I will serve. And even in early stages of my life, while I have kids, I will serve. It doesn't matter what stage your life is in. God's plan for your life is to use you to serve in and through the church, but we have to be willing to be continually involved. Number two, notice that Peter pointed people to Christ. Look at verse 34. Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, make your bed, and immediately he got up. And so all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What is interesting is when Peter goes in and he raises this man up, he doesn't go in and say, I'm so glad God can use me to do this. He walks in and says, Jesus Christ heals you. It wasn't about him. 
It wasn't about his giftedness. It wasn't about his talent. It wasn't about God working through him, even though God was working through him. He walks in and he says, this is about Jesus Christ. This is about him. If you want to have a more effective personal ministry, you have to understand that the focus of your ministry and the focus of what you do in ministry is the person of Jesus Christ. He understood that Christ was their true need. He understood that he could not provide what was needed. And while physical needs existed, the reality was they had a spiritual need that was greater than their physical need. They needed Jesus. See, many times in our ministry, I'm afraid, and many times in our service through and in the church, we minister and we serve. But what happens is when people look at our ministry, they see us and they don't see Jesus Christ. They see the work we're doing. They see our giftedness that God has given us. They see our abilities. They see our talent. All is a gift from God. But they see us and not Christ. See, the goal of ministry and the goal of serving, regardless of where you are serving, is that people know Jesus Christ. And so as you serve, people should hear about Christ and they should see Christ in you and through you. And they should see Christ many times instead of you. See, what allows all of us to come together and serve and minister is our desire for people to know Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't matter whether you're working in facilities, behind the scenes, cooking food for an event, cleaning up after event, teaching a Sunday school class, greeting someone coming through the door, collecting the offering. Whatever it is you're doing up front or behind scenes, the one thing that we can all be united in is we should do what we do so that people know Jesus Christ. We should do what we do so that people see Christ. And if we are serving and we are ministering in a way where people see us instead of Christ, we are doing them a huge disservice. The other disservice, I think, along with this is that when we fail to be involved in serving and in ministry, we miss the opportunity to point people to Christ. See, the way that your life in this church can point people to Christ is through your ministry. And if you sit back and your arms are folded and you have no desire to be involved in ministry and no desire to do anything for ministry and no desire to serve other people, then your life in and through the church is not pointing people to Christ. You may may see Christ through the ministry of others, but the plan, God's design, is that all of us serve. You see, how do you know it's God's design and God's plan for all of us to serve? Because the Bible is clear that he has gifted each and every one of you. If you are in this room this morning, God has gifted you to serve. And if you are refusing to serve or failing to serve, you are a poor steward of the giftedness that God has given you. The design is that you are gifted to serve so that through your service, more people can see and know the person of Jesus Christ. So maybe this morning, some of you, what you need to do is you need to consider joining us in serving, in ministering. You need to find a way to be involved. Number three, Peter was available. Verse 36 through verse 39, in in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I think Tabitha is a better option there, don't you? She was always doing good works and acts of charity. Notice that. She is always doing good works, always doing acts of charity. She was continually involved in ministry. And in those days she became sick and died. And after washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men who begged him, don't delay in coming with us. So Peter got up and went with them. Let's pause right there. This ministry opportunity in verse 36 through verse 39 was not something that Peter went out searching for. It was something that came looking for him. And what made it a wonderful ministry opportunity was that he was available. And what would have happened if Peter said, no, 
Can't do that today. See, some of the best ministry opportunities will come looking for us, but we will only recognize them if we are willing and available to serve. Here's the truth. In every church across our country, there are some people who go every Sunday, come every Sunday, and are present but are not available. Being present does not change the world for Christ, but being available can. Simply sitting in a pew each week does not impact lives for Christ, but being available can. So what does it mean to be available? I mean, it means to be willing and eager to serve. I I remember playing sports in high school. How many of you all played sports back in the day? Some of you? I played soccer and basketball and ran cross country. I didn't like cross country. I just ran cross country to get in shape for soccer, if I'm being honest. But I remember I, when I was in eighth grade, I made the varsity soccer team. And I remember I was in eighth grade, but you had all the ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders who were older, bigger, faster, and so I didn't get to play a lot. But I remember sitting on the bench, and I would sit on the edge of the bench my eighth grade year, and every time the coach would walk by, I would think he was coming because he wanted to put me in. Most of the time, he just kept on walking. But I was eager, and I was ready, and I sat there on the edge of the bench the entire season. I got to play some, but that entire eighth grade season, ready and eager and willing. I had the uniform on. I was prepared. I had everything I needed. All I needed was the opportunity. But I was sitting on the edge of the seat, ready for the coach to put me in. Put me in, coach. What would happen if we all had that same mentality in church ministry? I mean, what would happen if we were all that eager and all that available and all that willing to where we're sitting on the edge of our seat and we're saying, I'm ready and willing. God, show me where you want me. Give me an opportunity. God, I'm ready to do whatever it is you want me to do. God, just show me. I want to be in your will, so guide me. And we're sitting there and we're ready and we're eager and we're waiting and we're sitting there and we're saying, God, show me. But in most churches, that's not how it is, is it? That's the way it should be. The way, the, the way it's designed is that God has ministry and he has places for us and we're eager and we're willing and we're just sitting there saying, coach, put me in, I'm ready, use me. And I, I, I've coached soccer some over the years and one of the things, especially with younger kids, is it happens is if they're not in, they'll come tugging on your pants leg saying, can, can I go in, coach? Can you put me in? When is the last time you have been so eager to be involved in ministry and involved in serving God that you basically had that kind of attitude? We're saying, God, I don't know where you want me, but I'm willing to serve and I'm eager to serve. Just show me. And we're on the edge of our seat and we're saying, God, put me in. That's the mentality. See, if we want to have effective personal ministry, that's the attitude that we have to have. See, some of you this morning... What you need to do is not necessarily jump into a ministry. You just simply, first of all, need to make yourself available. You need to say, God, I'm ready. God, I'm willing. God, show me where you want me. God, use my life. God, put me in. I'm ready. And you need to make yourself available, and you need to be willing for God to use you however he can. Number four, and this is crucial, Peter was committed to prayer. Peter was committed to prayer. Look at verse 40. Actually, let's go back up to verse 39. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Then Peter sent them all out of the room, and he knelt down and prayed. This theme of prayer is throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 2, they were committed to prayer. When Peter and John were in prison in Acts 4 and 5, the church was committed to prayer. Prayer was not an event in the early church. Prayer was not just an item in the order of service, in the worship services. Prayer was a lifestyle of not just the pastors, but of the congregation. Prayer 
was essential. See, there is a great need that is presented in verse 40. And what Peter does at the beginning of this is to send everyone out of the room and he falls to his knees in prayer. His power in ministry came by way of his commitment to prayer. Before there was life in this dead individual, there was prayer. Before there was a miracle, there was prayer. Before there was life change, there was prayer. Before there was amazement by the crowds, there was prayer. Prayer is what preceded, preceded everything else. Prayer was not a last resort. It was the first thing that was needed. Peter was acknowledging, I cannot do this. And what is needed here, I cannot provide. God, I need you. It was an acknowledgement of his dependence on the true God. See, if you want to have a more effective personal ministry in our church, you must be committed to prayer. Praying that God will do what you can't. Praying that God will work in ways that you can't. Praying that God will use your life and use your efforts. See, so much of the ineffectiveness in churches, I believe, is directly tied to their refusal and their neglect of prayer. See, we should be a praying church. And we should be a praying people. And I believe very firmly that you should not be, and there's no way of knowing this, but you should not be allowed to serve in a ministry if you don't regularly pray for our ministry. And you should not be allowed to be on a committee of our church if you don't regularly pray for our church. And you should not be allowed to teach a class if you're, you don't really care enough to pray for us. See, prayer is essential to the life and to the health and to the effectiveness of the church. You know, one of the things that irks me and kind of aggravates me is when someone says, well, I can't do what I used to do, so I'll just pray. See, what we have to understand is, yes, there are times when, because of sickness and health, people can't serve actively in the way they once did. But what we have to understand is the most important ministry our church can have is the ministry of prayer. And it is not something we do because we cannot do anything else. It is something we do so that everything else can happen. And you may be here this morning and you may look back to days in your life where you used to do more and you used to be more active and because of health you can't anymore. Understand, do not ignore or minimize the importance of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is, is what God uses. Prayer is needed. We don't pray again. We don't pray because we can't do anything else. We pray because it is the most important thing we can do. And if we do everything else and we neglect to pray, we have failed. If we are busy and we are active, but we fail to pray, we have failed. If we are involved and we do all these other things and we work ourselves, we do so much, we're exhausted, but yet we fail to pray, we have failed. And one of the things I think we have to do as a church is we have to improve in this area of prayer. So to help with this, one, I want to challenge you, pray for our church, but to help with this, I'm starting what we're calling a prayer ministry team. You aren't elected to this. You don't serve a term on this. You don't meet. You simply pray daily for a church. And each month, I will send out either by mail or email or both a list to people who stand up, not stand up now, but people who volunteer and say, I want to pray daily for our church. And those who say, I want to pray daily for our church, and you'll get something in the mail or through email that will have every single day for that month ways that you can specifically pray for the ministry of Highland Park. Why? Because it's needed. Why? Because we need to demonstrate dependence on God. Why? Because if we work in our own power, we will fail. We need God. And the way we demonstrate dependence on God and the way we demonstrate our need for God is through prayer to God. 
And so if that's something that you all are interested in, something you say, no, I want to be a part of this prayer team, then all you have to do is call the office. We'll put you on a list, and starting next week, you'll, you'll get an email every month or a letter in the mail every month with how you can pray for our church. Never neglect or minimize the importance of prayer. And as much as prayer needs to be a part of our overall ministry, prayer needs to be a part of your individual ministry. Number five, Peter was free from prejudice. Look at verse 43. So this miracle is performed. Verse 42, this became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Verse 43, and Peter stayed on many days in Joppa with Simon a leather tanner. This is a verse that's often overlooked because it's really a transition verse between a couple of paragraphs, but there's there's kind of a nugget here that we we, we should not neglect. You see that he stayed with someone named Simon, and this person named Simon was a leather tanner. Leather tanners were despised in the first century. Why? Because they dealt with the skin of dead animals. If you were a tanner, you were involved in what was considered to be an unclean operation. Occupation, and they were considered they were considered to be unclean people, and so no self-respecting Jew would have anything to do with a tanner. Tanners would not be allowed to go to the temple. Leather tanners would not be allowed to go to the synagogue. And so, when we read that Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner, understanding his background, his Jewish heritage, his Jewish lineage, his Jewish understanding, his Jewish cultural experiences. We're all telling him, this person is unclean. I need to reject this person. I need to avoid this person. I don't need to associate with this person because their occupation is unclean. But he understood that the gospel is more powerful than our prejudices, that the gospel brings Jew and Greek together, that there's neither bond nor free, male or female, educated, uneducated, under the umbrella of Christ, we are one in Christ. And Peter understood this. And what allowed him in part, to have such an effective personal ministry was that he was free of prejudice. See, if we have prejudice in our hearts, that will negatively impact our personal ministry. We have to be willing to look at our own hearts and look at our own lives and beg God, God, show me where I'm prejudiced. Show me where where I'm filled with hate. Show me where I'm prideful. Show me where I view myself too too high and ask God to show that to us so that we can repent of it. See, this morning, if you are committed to having an effective life-impacting ministry, then you have to be willing to be continually involved. You have to be willing to point people to Jesus in all that you do. You have to be available to others. You have to be committed to prayer, and you have to be willing to remove prejudice from your hearts. And some of you this morning, that's some of what you need to do. Some of you are here, and you're here, but you're not, you haven't been available. And when you leave, the decision that God wants you to make today is that when you leave, you leave available and willing to serve. And there's others of you, you're, you're active, you're busy, you're serving, but if you're honest with yourself, when people see your ministry, they see you, they do not see Christ. When they see your activity and your ministry and your service, you are standing in the way of Christ. And we have to confess that and say, God, it is not about me. It is all about you. And some of you, you know God wants you to serve, but you've been hesitant. You need to find a way to get involved. And one of the biggest objections I have heard from people is, I'm not qualified. I can't do that. I can't be involved. I got, I'm not qualified for that. See, what you have to understand is that, 
What God wants from you is willingness, and he will guide, and he will direct. And even though you may not think you're qualified, if it's where God wants you, God qualifies the willing. God qualifies the willing. And there is no area of ministry too small. I mean, if you're sitting back and you're thinking, I I can't wait for this big opportunity. Understand there's no ministry. There's no area of service too small. I read a story from a Sunday school ministry in the part of New York City that has been rated the most likely place to get killed. How would you like that title next to your town's name? The pastor's name was Bill Wilson. And in his time at this ministry, he had been stabbed twice, shot at, and had a member of his team killed. One day, A Puerto Rican lady, after getting saved in the church, came to him with an urgent request. She went up to him, and she didn't speak any English. And so she brought a translator with her, and she went up to the pastor, and through an interpreter, she says, I want to do something for God. Please let me do something for God. And the pastor looked back and said, I don't know what you can do. I mean, we're English ministry. You don't speak English. You've just been saved. I don't don't know what you can do. And she said, please let me do something. And so he said, okay. I'll put you on one of our buses. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to ride a different bus every week and just love the kids. And so every week she rode a different bus. And this bus, they had, well, that, this church, they had 50 different bus routes that ran every week. And so every week she rode a different bus and she would love the children and she would find the, the worst looking kid on the bus who looked the most neglected and she would put that child on her lap and she would whisper over and over and over in that child's ears, the only English words she knew, I love you, Jesus loves you. That's all the English she knew. But every single week for that hour before and after the service, she would hold that kid in her lap and she would just say over and over, I love you, Jesus loves you. And after several months, she became attached to one specific little boy. And she went to the pastor with her interpreter and says, I don't want to change buses anymore. I want to stay on this bus with this kid. The boy didn't speak. He came to Sunday school every week with his sister. He sat on the woman's lap, but he never made a sound. And every single week, she would whisper in his ear, I love you, and Jesus loves you. Over and over, I love you, Jesus loves you. One day, to her amazement, the little boy turned around and stammered, I love you too. And then he put his arms around her and gave her a big hug. That was at 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon. At 6.30 that night, the boy's body was found dumped in a garage under a fire escape. His mother had beaten him to death and thrown his body in the trash. I love you. Jesus loves you. Were some of the last words he heard. From this individual who spoke hardly any English at all, who simply said, I want to do something for God, impacted this life in a way that she could never understand. Listen, there is no job too small. There is no task too menial. All you have to do is say, God, I want you to use my life. God, I want you to see Christ through me. God, let me serve and let me minister. God, use my life so that other people can see you through me. I love you. Jesus loves you. 
mean, what would happen if, if our church became passionate about ministry and passionate about serving to the place where we said, I don't know, God, how you can use me, but I'm here on the edge of my seat. God, put me in. I'm ready and I'm willing. God, I want you to use my life. God, I, I, want, to, I want other people to see you through me. God, please use me. God, I want to serve and I want to minister and I'm willing to show me where you want me to go. Show me what you want me to do. See, I believe very firmly that if we have a church that is filled with people who are ready, eager, willing, continually involved, committed to pointing people to Christ, committed to prayer, free of prejudice, and we're on the edge of our seat saying, God, use me, that our church can be transformed and our church, church can transform this community. But if we fall in with a statistic that says... 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Guess what's going to happen? Our ministry is limited. And our effectiveness is limited. And so some of you this morning, how God is, and I believe this, I believe God is speaking to some of you this morning, and what he's telling you is be available and get involved. Stop sitting and serve. And some of you who have been active in ministry and you have been active in service, what you need to do is stop relying on yourself and start praying more and start saying, God, this is about you. I want people to see you, so do what I can't and do what only you can do. Spend time demonstrating a dependence and a reliance on God through prayer so that people, when you minister and when you serve, they don't see you, but they see Christ because that is their true need. And that's the decision some of you need to make. And some of you just simply, you need to commit to pray for our church more frequently. It needs to be often, daily. And I believe that as we have a church that com co commits to praying daily, commits to serving, commits to ministering, that God will use us in a powerful way. If you read through that two different times, it says that people in the town believed, right? People in the city believed. Why? Because Peter was willing to serve he was available, he pointed people to Christ, he was committed to prayer, and he was free of prejudice. And that's how we need to be. Will you stand with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you and we know that you have us here for the purpose of ministry and for the purpose of serving. And God, if we're honest, I think there are quite a few of us in here who we come every week and we sit every week, but we, we're, we've not made ourselves available to you. And God, I pray that you would help us to be available. God, there may be some people here who are, have been viewing retirement as an idol, and that idol of retirement is standing in the way of them serving in ministry. And God, I pray you'd help them to see that and confess that and to commit to leverage this time of their life to further your kingdom. And God, then some of us, we're relying on our talents and abilities, and we're not praying for you to work. We're not concerned that people see Jesus. We just want to get the job done, and quite honestly, God, we're, while we say we're ministering, we're busy, we're active, but we're not doing your work. So God, I pray you'd speak to hearts. I pray that you would help us to know how to respond to you this morning so that our church can be used by you in a great way. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.